Hello and welcome to episode number 44 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and Tony Pauline is with me from Indianapolis after day two of on-field workouts at Lucas Oil Stadium. All offensive skill players, besides the running backs, worked out Saturday, so we have a lot to get to in this episode. But first, a bit of housekeeping and some updates from Friday's show. Tony, you reported in our last podcast that Colts backup quarterback Jacoby Brissett was a potential trade candidate. I asked what kind of compensation you expected Indianapolis to get for him. You said it was more likely to be draft compensation rather than a player-for-player type of deal like the way they acquired Brissett. Now you're hearing general manager Chris Ballard wants a second-round pick for Brissett. Well, I'm not hearing that Ballard wants that. What I hear is that it's likely going to be a second-round pick because the Colts could actually keep him and then lose him via free agency and pick up a third-round choice. I was uh, led to believe that you know it may be a later round pick and then a, 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 a conditional pick based on production or playing time, but uh, when I spoke to a couple people last night, they said no. You know it'd be foolish to let him go for anything less than a second round pick because if he leaves free, free agency, at the very worst, they're going to come away with a third round to form. It kind of similar in some ways to the Nick Foles situation where the Eagles were considering franchising him, but in the end, if they're not going to get a pick higher than the third round. Might as well just let him walk and get the compensatory pick. Now, any team that's going to trade an early day two pick for Jacoby Percet would certainly lock him up long term, right? I mean, you would think so. Uh, it depends on what your uh, you know your definition of long term is. I would I would expect at least a three year deal. Now, listen, Brissett's a guy I liked. I liked him at North Carolina State. Uh, when he stepped in as a rookie for New England, I thought he did a solid job staying away from mistakes. It was a tough situation when he played with the Colts because, you know, they were really beat up on their offensive line. And it was an offensive line that didn't have a lot of talent, didn't have the guys they have now. But I still think fundamentally he's a very good quarterback with a, with a nice upside and can be coached into a start at the next level or at the level he plays at now. I'm, I'm so I'm so used to saying next level because I'm talking about college players, but Brissett's already in the NFL. Yeah, Brissett, as you said, he was an intriguing guy coming out of NC State, and a guy many thought as a third-round pick was a guy who could potentially be a starter, which, you know, you don't always find those guys in the third round. So now that situation is kind of coming to fruition. It may take a third team for him to be that long-term answer, but there's a lot of interest in him around the league, and rightfully so. Just needs coaching. Just needs coaching and development. Has the skills. Was a patient passer at North Carolina State. Didn't make bad decisions, bad throws. He's got an upside. You just have to draw it out of him. Speaking of upside, we discussed on Friday that teams are viewing Ja'Kai Polite as a better pure edge prospect than Nick Bosa. And that's an important distinction to make because obviously Bosa brings much more to the table than just his pass rush skills off the edge. Rumors are continuing to swirl around the Green Bay Packers and their interest in Polite. Nick Perry signed a five-year, $60 million deal with the team two years ago. He's really struggled with injuries, hasn't performed when he's on the field, one and a half sacks over the past two years. So he's looking very likely to be a cap casualty, and Green Bay is going to need a replacement for him, someone who can provide a little edge rush. What can you add to this story, Tony? Well, I know at this point in time, people I spoke with said that the Green Bay Packers really like him. A lot has to be played out. Obviously, he's going to work out tomorrow. There are more interviews. they got to check out the medicals. I'm not insinuating or implying anything's wrong with the medicals. But at this point in time, they like Polite a lot. 
as I stated, we talked back in February, early February, I should say, they're also going to look to answer their pass rush needs through free agency. One free agent pass rusher that they'd like is Preston Smith, who's going to get a decent contract. There are other guys out there that they like. If they don't answer their pass rushing needs in free agency, I know they like Polite right now. I think he's definitely someone they consider with that first pick in round one. Speaking of free agency and pass rushers, we discussed Friday that Trey Flowers is a guy who's going to be in hot demand, arguably the top player available at the strongest position in free agency. We talked about how new coach Brian Flores coming from the New England Patriots, his Miami Dolphins are very likely to be interested in Trey Flowers. How serious is the Detroit Lions interest in the pass rusher as well? And do you expect any teams beyond those two to get involved? I've heard that not only the Lions interested in Trey Flowers, they may try and come out of free agency with signing two defensive ends because the need is so great. Obviously, the connection is there with Matt Patricia. I continue to hear, and I heard late last night, you know, it looks like right now the Miami Dolphins are the front runners. If they're able to outbid everyone uh, for Flowers, it's a perfect fit. And everything that's going on here has told people who've passed on to me, right now it looks like the Dolphins are the front runners for Flowers. Moving on here to Saturday's workouts, the tight end started the day, and Iowa's Noah Fant really stole the show. Everyone was expecting him to be the best athlete at the position, so you have to be really careful not to double count this. A lot of his projection and a lot of the reason that people like him is because he is an excellent athlete. He only confirmed that today. Talk about Fant, Tony, and also some of the other tight ends who impressed and any that you feel struggled in might have hurt their draft stock. You know, I agree with what you said, that everyone expected Fant to uh, really test well. But I don't think that many people expected a, a 40 time in the low four fives at 249 pounds. We heard about a potential 40-inch vertical jump. It was 39 and a half inches, which is terrific. You know, his three-cone time was evidently recorded at 6.81 seconds. That's safety speed for a 249-pound tight end. So it's a matter of Fant getting more involved in the offense. We know he's a good pass catcher when it's thrown to him. I don't think he was as, as involved as many people expected. You know, he's now in the conversation to be the first tight end selected in April. A guy that we mentioned yesterday, someone I thought could really elevate their draft stock, San Jose State tight end Josh Oliver, really came through in testing. I mean, he's a guy who... In the low four sixes, he was expected to run in the four rates, or he was stamped, I should say, as a four eight tight end. Comes through with a four six three tight end as a four six three in the forty. We know he's a terrific pass catcher. Thirty four inches in the vertical, solid number. Seven point two one seconds in the three cone, again a solid number. We talked about two guys yesterday when we mentioned the tight ends, about fifteen tight ends going the first hundred twenty five picks. I said I already had nine who were fourth round prospects or better. I mentioned two more who could jump into the fourth round. One of them was Josh Oliver. I think he did that. The other one was Drew Sample, a guy who we saw really dominate at the uh, senior ball, and he was much better than expected today uh, in workouts. 255 pounds, ran the 40 in the low four sevens, 33-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, which is a good number for a 255-pound athlete, 715 in the three-cone. I think Sample has absolutely cemented himself as a top 120 pick. Dawson Knox was terrific catching the ball. He did not run, but he looked good running routes, snatching the ball with his hands. Definitely a, a positive day for Dawson Knox. I have him rated right now as a third-round pick. If he runs well during his uh, pro day in the 40, if he runs in the low 4.5s, doesn't even have to run in the low 4.5s, he runs in the mid 4.5s, 
he's definitely going to be a top uh, 70 selection. On the other hand, I thought it was a difficult day for Caden Smith. Caden Smith was someone who, during the season, scouts thought could be the first tight end taken. They thought he could be a first-round tight end. There were questions about his speed. I was hearing in November that he was going to run a 4.8. Ran a 4.92 today, only a 32-inch vertical. Caden Smith could be in the mix in that fourth-round area because he plays faster than he timed. He's a much better athlete on film uh, than he is for testing. Uh, but it's still going to be very tough to take anybody who runs a 4-9 before the fifth or sixth round. Now, sticking with the pass catchers, lots of fast wide receivers this year. So many sub 4-4 times. We talked Friday about Ohio State teammates Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin. Campbell ended up running a 4.31, tied for the top time. McLaurin came in at 4.35. The player who tied with Paris Campbell for that top time was actually Andy Isabella, a guy who we knew he'd be fast. We'd been talking about him training and working out in the four threes leading up to the combine. He beat Denzel Ward in high school track, as everybody now knows, if they were watching the combine today. He actually had an unofficial time in the low to mid four fives that became a 4.31 because they started the clock 0.23 seconds before he even took off. And that's Andy Isabella there, who's a very small guy. We know he's quick. We know he can run routes. We also now know that he is very fast in a straight line. Another guy who's very fast in a straight line is DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss. Ran a 4.33 at 228 pounds. Even the people that thought he was going to run extremely fast at the combine did not think he was going to break 4.35. But here we are near the top of the leaderboard for him, was also near the top of the leaderboard for the bench press, the vertical jump, the broad jump. What is concerning a little bit, and something that we've talked about in the past, is his agility drills. His 20-yard shuttle came in at 4.5, one of the worst among the receivers who was recorded, almost a half second slower than the 4.03 second time from Campbell and Toledo's Cody Thompson. What did you think, Tony, about Metcalf's performance as a whole, and who else do you think stood out both good and bad. Well, let's compare it to Taylor Mays, who what was about seven, eight years ago, had an Olympian-type workout at the Combine. Uh, everyone was doing backflips because he was so fast. But the fact is, is he didn't look good in position drills. Now, I'm not saying that Metcalf is Taylor Mays, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, is Metcalf is still a better athlete than he is a receiver. He's a solid pass catcher, but he needs a lot of work on his receiving drills because if you watch the position drills, yes, he made some nice catches, but he also dropped some throws. He also had a lot of double catches. He was struggling running routes. He lost balance in his routes. Now, uh, you know, you have to tell both sides of the story. Everyone's gushing over DK Metcalf because of the 40 time, because of the vertical jump. He also had a good bench press, uh, and they were anointing him as a top 10 pick. I did not see a top 10 receiver during position drills. I saw a top 10 athlete when he was working out, and a guy who could potentially develop into a great receiver, but he needs a lot of work. And that's just today in the position drills. If you take it a step further, uh, you watch the film, as I've said before. He doesn't show great awareness. You've seen on film where he's stepping out of bounds. He doesn't show great timing. There's a lot of upside there, but there's also a lot of downside, and a lot of work needs to be done. You mentioned Andy Isabella and what happened with his 40 time. Isabella also ran a 6.95 in the uh, three cone, ran a, a short shuttle of 4.15, which are which are decent marks. I thought he had a really good day. We said he was going to compete to be one of the fastest receivers, and he did. We talked about Terry McLaurin competing to be one of the uh, fastest receivers, 
and he did as well. Three other receivers that we have to talk about who really exceeded expectations are Hakeem Butler, Miles Boykin, and Nikhil Harry. Butler we spoke about yesterday. We talked about him potentially running in the low 4.5s. He was faster than that. He ran in the high 4.4s, 4.48, which is tremendous for a guy of his size. We know he wins out for the contested pass. Now he shows the speed to compete at the next level. He not only ran well and had a, and tested well, he also caught the ball well in drills. Miles Boykin, when you watch him on film, he looks like a slow possession receiver who's stiff. We had a 4-4-2 today. I think he had a 43.5 vertical jump. He tested like a great athlete. So you know he has that potential. It's just a matter of coaching him to play to those numbers, to play to that 4-4-2 speed, to play to that 43-inch vertical jump, although he does win out for the high passes. Really, he needs to just play like a good athlete on the field. And I thought Nikhil Harry was tremendous today. I was hearing maybe four sixes as of a day or two ago, or they were hoping he was going to get on the four six. I believe his fastest time was uh, four five three. Really helped this draft stock immeasurably. I think Harry has definitely put himself back in the conversation to be a top 45 pick. You know, a guy who on film is a real good receiver showed himself to be a good athlete today. Tony, on the other side of things, who disappointed you from the receiver position and who might you have expected more from that you didn't really see it from today? First receiver I was very disappointed in is Nyquan Murray of Florida State. Under 5'10 and a half, barely 190 pounds, ran in the mid four sixes, uh, only did eight reps on the bench, although that does not mean a lot, but that kind of brings everything together. 34-inch vertical jump. This was a guy who, when he came into the season, was graded as a fourth rounder by scouts. I think there's no way he gets drafted now. Little Jordan Humphrey, 210 pounds, ran a 4.75 in the uh, 40. 33 and a half inch vertical jump. You know, you watch him. He's one of those bigger receivers who wins out for the contested throws on Saturday, but he just doesn't translate well to the next level. I don't see Humphrey being anything earlier than a six round pick at this point in time. Now, looking at a couple quarterbacks who are very likely to go a lot higher than the sixth round, I have two specific questions for you on players. One, did Dwayne Haskins separate himself from the pack with his performance today? And Jarrett Stidham out of Auburn obviously had a strong senior bowl performance, which we broke down and kind of extolled his virtues there. Did he continue that momentum Saturday? As far as Haskins is concerned, he was solid. He was not flawless. And I've seen a number of flawless, not too many, but I've seen a few flawless throwing performances by uh, quarterbacks here at the Combine since 2001. He was right on the money with a lot of his passes. Many of his throws were late because when I watched him during position drills, he seemed very hesitant to release the ball his timing was not on, which is understandable because a lot of these receivers he just met literally within the past 48 hours. He's never really thrown the ball to them. Overall, he was accurate, but he was not deadly accurate on all his throws, which I think he needed to be to establish himself as the number one quarterback in this year's draft or leaving the combine to establish himself as the number one quarterback. I was really impressed with the Jared Stidham. He's a guy who I liked coming into the 2018 season. He did not have the year many expected. A lot of breakdowns at Auburn. He had a lot of breakdowns in his game. He was on the money today. He was precisely accurate with his shorter throws. He showed great timing. The receivers were not waiting for the ball to get to them as they left their breaks. The ball was right there. He was accurate down the field. He was throwing dimes 40 yards down the field on those deep outs. And those deep outs... That is the money pass of the combine. If you can hit those receivers in the deep outs with accuracy, with good timing, you're going to help your draft stock. That's what Stidham did. I think he cemented himself 
as a second-day pick, and I don't think it's out of the question that he jumps into the top 50 selections come April. Now, Stidham did the same thing at the Senior Bowl. We both discussed how impressed we were with just the velocity that he would hit balls on the sideline with. It was velocity that we didn't see from any other quarterback down there, and that included Drew Locke, who you know, we've talked about often how good his arm strength really is. Going back to Haskins for a second, though, you said he was solid. He didn't really separate himself. Obviously, his main competition to be the top quarterback drafted right now, Kyler Murray, did not work out, didn't do anything here. I know where you stand on these two personally in terms of your rankings, but as of right now, from what you've seen from them after the combine, who do you think goes higher? Well, what have we seen from Kyler Murray? All we've seen is the fact that he's, he's measured over five foot ten, and people are, are doing backflips. First thing is, I said that Haskins was good, I, he, he, but he wasn't flawless. So uh, I think it was a very good workout that he could be proud of. It just it wasn't flawless. As far as Murray's concerned, we've seen nothing from Murray other than the fact that he measured over five foot ten, over two hundred twenty pounds. And I mean, there are people here in the city of Indianapolis who were stating that he's a lock to be the first pick of the draft. I've talked to a lot of NFL people who say that is, in fact, not the case. There is a lot to be played out before we're going to anoint this guy as the overall first selection of the draft. And it's understandable. He hasn't thrown any passes yet. He hasn't uh, done any workouts for NFL teams. Uh, So, I mean, people really need to take a step back at this point in time before we anoint this guy as the number one pick. I really would have liked to see Murray throw today. He's going to throw at Oklahoma in the pro day. It's going to be a scripted workout that his trainer is going to put together as opposed to what we saw with Haskins today. And, you know, Haskins did struggle with his timing at times, although he was accurate. We're not going to see that with uh, Murray. We're going to see uh, him throw in the surrounding that he's very familiar with to receivers that he's very familiar with. And it's going to be a script that he's going to be able to practice literally for the next two and a half weeks before Oklahoma Pro Day. Now, when you hear reports come out that say, this guy is a lock to go number one, and right now we just turned the calendar to March. We have almost two full months until the draft. Is it possible for anybody to really know who is a lock in these type of scenarios to go at a certain spot with so much left to do in the process? Sam Darnall was a lock to be the first pick of the draft. He never was. I can go on, and I remember when they were saying – Literally a month and a half before the draft, Peter Warwick, the receiver from Florida State, was a lock to be uh, the first pick of the draft. You know, mail it in, they said. Now, Murray plays the quarterback position, which is a priority position. The short answer is no. I mean, could he be the first pick of the draft? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But let's not, you know, almost two months before the draft already basically give it up and say he's going to be the first pick of the draft. Too much to be played out. Now, tomorrow, speaking of things to be played out, we still have the defensive linemen and the linebackers set to work out. What do you expect to see from the workouts among the front seven players, and who are you watching closely? Montez Sweat is going to test through the roof, from what I'm told, and he's just going to blow it up. People tell me it's going to be a Jadavian Clowney, Marcus Davenport type of workout. There's a chance he could run in the low four fives in the 40. I'm hearing a vertical jump, which is over 35 inches. So I think people will be talking about Montez Sweat tomorrow the way they were talking about DK Metcalf today. Rennell Wren is also going to have a good workout. He's already put up 30 reps on the bench, weighed in at 318 pounds. He's going to run under five seconds, could get into the low four nines. What I'm told is going to have a broad jump of over or potentially over 10 feet, as well as a vertical jump of 32 inches. From the linebackers, keep the name of Justin Hollins on the tip of your tongue. Justin Hollins is a guy who I reported from the Shrine game, ran 
five eight seconds in the hundred meters. I'm told that he has already run four point four one seconds laser timed during his combine training. Came in at two hundred forty eight pounds. Tomorrow we may see a two hundred forty eight pound man run the forty in the mid four fours, and that's going to be a big talking point. Now, Tony, going back to quarterbacks for just a second here. Earlier today, you posted a blockbuster tweet about the Washington Redskins having interest in Josh Rosen. Obviously, we have all these Kyler Murray going number one rumors, which certainly means that Josh Rosen would become available for teams to trade for. What can you tell us more about the Redskins' interest? People who have spoken with the Washington Redskins have told me that they have openly said if Josh Rosen hits the open market, they will absolutely pursue a trade to acquire him. They missed out on the quarterbacks last year. They obviously need a player at the position. They're not going to get any of the top quarterbacks in this year's draft as far as Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins. So if they can get Josh Rosen, they're going to go for it. I'm sure there are other teams who are are interested in maybe acquiring Josh Rosen. But as of right now, the Redskins are the only team here at the Combine that have openly said if Rosen becomes available, they're going to pursue him. Now, obviously, there are going to be more teams potentially involved in this situation. As you alluded to, it's not going to be just Washington. But what do you think the draft compensation is going to need to be in this scenario for a team to pluck Rosen from Arizona? What people have told me, and this is just speculation, is it's obviously going to take a number one and another selection. What I'm being told is right now the belief is is that number one may not be until 2020. A lot of teams like uh, Rosen because he's very affordable. A bulk of the money that is was due to him was paid last year. They could have him for three more years. Then if he works out, they got the fifth-year option. I'm hearing it's probably a mid-round pick and then a first-rounder. And the people I've spoken with believe that that first-rounder may not be to 2020. Obviously, a lot remains to be played out, even if it happens. The combine has been in Indianapolis for a long time at this point. Are there rumors going around that the Combine is eventually going to leave Lucas Oil Stadium and find a new home? Absolutely. I mean, that's the talk in town here. Combine's been here, I believe, since the 80s. They're talking about capitalizing, or the league is talking about capitalizing on it. They're talking about maybe moving it to Los Angeles. They're talking about maybe turning it into a two-week event where they bring different positions in on separate days. I can tell you this. The teams wanted to stay in Indianapolis. They always have. They've talked about moving the combine in the past to a warmer weather area like Arizona, like Florida. The teams and the general managers have pushed back. They like Indianapolis because it's centrally located, centrally located from the East Coast, centrally located from the West Coast. If they have it in Arizona, the East Coast teams would have a five, six hour flight. If they moved it to Florida, the West Coast teams would have a six, seven hour flight. They like it in Indianapolis because Basically, you don't have to walk outside. Everything is at Lucas Oil Stadium. The interviews take place in the hotel room. All the medical facilities are at the Lucas Oil Stadium, and everything is connected, as opposed to a facility where some of the workouts may be in one spot, the interviews may be in another spot, and then the medicals may be in a third spot. The teams do not want it moved. It will be the league that forces the move, and as we know, the league wants to capitalize on it monetarily, so a move may be coming. Now, we already have media leaving the Combine after a day, after two days. If this is a two-week spectacle, what do you expect to be the main change as far as less media, more teams, and kind of like what it used to be back when you started going? I think it may be expanded as sort of a fan fest. And, you know, listen, the league wants 
they want a 12-month season. They want basically the, the regular season to meld into the playoffs, which goes into the Super Bowl, which goes into free agency talk, and then the combine, and then free agency itself, and then the draft. So expanding it two weeks would just be basically getting closer to that 12-month season scenario. I do know that speaking with uh, some media members who talked about it this morning, they would be dead set against a two-week combine as they basically dangled out there. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. And that's all for the 44th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. You can find us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcasts. We'll be back to recap Sunday's action as well for you. So be on the lookout for another episode coming at you soon. And make sure you head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest news and buzz from Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night.